this song about Psalm 73. With your counsel you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. This psalm is characterized generally as a wisdom psalm. And wisdom psalms focus not as much on praising God or thanking God as on teaching our fellow man. And Psalm 73 definitely does this. It is a teaching psalm. It teaches us about him, about the author's crisis moment in life where he said, as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. He almost lost his faith. And what caused him to almost lose his faith? And what is now motivating him to write these words? We want to see all of that tonight as we look in Psalm 73. Psalm 73, very similar in some ways to Psalm 37. Psalm 37 doesn't express as much of the author's personal struggles, but it deals with a lot of the same themes. The contrast of the righteous versus the wicked and the prosperity of the righteous with sometimes the difficulties that the righteous face. But, but let's look at, in Psalm 73, let's look at these first 14 verses. And see how he characterizes, a psalm of Asaph, see how he characterizes the uh, prosperity and the life of the wicked. The New American Standard Text says this, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as are other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace and the garment of violets covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imagination of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore his people return to this place and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the most high? Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. And washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. Now verse 1 is a conclusion. It will be a conclusion that he reaches at the end of his journey. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. 
It also may have been, to some degree, the presupposition on which he built his life. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And from it, it may lead to unrealistic expectations as far as what life should be and how life shall look. But God is good. We write those words a lot, don't we? God is always good. We often write them after blessing. Harder to write them after difficulty. Lady in the last congregation where I preach would often say those words, God is good, the end of something that she would pose. And one day as she described her cancer that had returned, a battle from which she would not survive, she says at the end, God is good. It's true, but it's harder to say sometimes than others. And the writer was finding a time that it was really difficult to say that. It was really difficult to say that. And he said, I want to tell you the truth. I almost lost my faith. I almost gave it up. My feet were close to stumbling and I almost slipped because he said, I was envious. I was envious of the arrogant and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You have heard of the Hebrew term shalom, means peace. And sometimes you hear preachers say about that particular word for peace, it doesn't just refer to the absence of conflict, it refers to all good things. And that's true, that's true. That's the word he uses here, translated prosperity. I solved the prosperity, the shalom of the wicked. Here, everything in their life is going their way. Everything is. And I saw it. And it almost caused me to lose my faith. His first problem is he hadn't listened to the words of Psalm 37, 1, which said, do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious toward wrongdoers. Same word envious used in Psalm 37, 1 is used here. He was envious of the arrogant. He was envious of their prosperity. And it is deeply troubling to him. Now, just a few words. I tried to put down a few things that characterizes the life of these wicked people. And one of the characteristics that describes them and who they are is they are described as arrogant. Look at verse 6. Pride is their necklace and the garment of violence covers them. Is the clothing that they wear. They are proud. They are violent. In verses 8 and 9, they mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. 
Oh, some of you recognize through the heavens and through the earth as a merism. As he takes two extremes. Their tongue speaks against heaven. It speaks. It does damage to those on earth. But their, their arrogance knows no boundaries. It knows no boundaries. And they scoff. Now these are Israelites he's probably talking about. They scoff at the idea that there's a God who will hold them accountable. In verse 11, they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? They are arrogant. Now, how would you expect the life of someone like this to look? Oh, it's going to be falling apart. Everybody's going to recognize them and recognize their foolishness and going to avoid them. Well, not always. Not always. In verse 4 and 5, there are no pains in their death. They don't have troubles like everybody else. Their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Now, the term fat is used a couple of times. Verse 4, verse 7. The term fat would not have been used as an insulting term to them. This is a statement that they are prosperous. They are blessed. They have plenty. They have an abundance. Uh, some of the language that's used uh, in verse 10, waters of abundance are drunk by them. I know that phrase translated differently in some versions. In, in verse 12, they are always at ease and have increased in wealth. Their bank accounts continue to grow. Uh, they have everything going their way and yet they are defiant of God and they do not think there's any God who will hold them accountable. They are are free of trouble their life is lived with ease they experience great prosperity as we've already indicated in verse 3 in verse 4 verse 7 their eye bulges from fatness the imagination of their heart runs riot verse 10 we've already alluded to but but all of this is shocking to him and one of the things that's most shocking is that it is a contrast to his life. It is a complete contrast with his life. While everything falls in place, the wicked, his life is falling apart. Look at verses 13 and 14 particularly. In verses 3 through 12, he described the life of the wicked. In verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart here. Now, verse 1, he said, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So he has tried to keep his heart pure, to keep his hands innocent. But he says, it's been in vain. In vain have I done this. In verse 14, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. 
Now let me tell you something about that particular word stricken there in verse 14. I'm reading the New American Standard Bible. Okay? But the word stricken, I have been stricken all day long. It is the same word translated plagued in verse 5. Now look at that. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. The word plagued, the New American Standard, verse 5, same Hebrew word translated stricken, verse 14. What's the point? Verse 5 is describing the wicked. And they are not plagued, they are not stricken. But now the psalmist says in verse 14, I have been stricken, I have been plagued all day long, continually. Perpetually, all day long, they're free of these troubles. And I cannot escape them. Sometimes we look at a person's life. He lives in defiance of God, mistreats other people. And everything they touch turns to gold. Well, those who are God's servants and God's people experience trouble after trouble and difficulty after difficulty and never seem to have peace. And this disparity overwhelms the psalmist and it's overwhelming to us particularly when we have sought to keep our heart pure and our hands innocent and our pain is perpetual I'm not going to get to do this justice but let me encourage you to examine Job 21, verses 7 through 16. Job 21, 7 through 16. Job will utter words very similar to these in Psalm 73, 1 through 14. Job will say the same kind of things about the life of of the wicked that are said here. For example, Job just starts in Job 21, verse 7. Why do the wicked still live, continue on, become powerful? Their descendants are established with them in their sight. Their offspring are before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God on them. A matter of fact, their cattle and their livestock are even prosperous. And they don't disappear, verses 11 and 12. But they only increase. Now think about Job and think about his life. Job was the richest man of the east. His wealth is described in terms of oxen and donkeys and uh, livestock and all of this. And he is the wealthiest man of the East. And he loses all of this. 
He loses all of this in quick succession. But then finally, someone comes to him with the worst blow of all is your seven sons, your three daughters were all feasting in one house. And the, the wind of God uh, came down upon the house and all your servants are dead. He lost his wealth. He lost his ten children. And as Job lost all that, it seemed like the wicked around him were prospering and blessed. And their life was full of shalom peace. And he vents about that in Job 21. I have never experienced anything on the level that Job has, nor do I know of anyone who has. I know of some who've suffered. I, I do not know of any who have suffered like he has. And while Job is certainly an incredible example, an extreme example, I think every person that has lived a while can relate to the words of Psalm 73 in some way. I think we all can. Because life doesn't seem fair sometimes. And it doesn't even seem to make sense from the standpoint that there's a God who is good and who desires holiness and yet, the people that we see that seem to have success and the people that we see that don't seem to have any relief doesn't seem to fit that picture. So what do we do in those cases? The writer said, I almost slipped. Doesn't, doesn't give up the faith, but he acknowledges now he almost did. He almost gave it up. But there are answers to his difficulty. In verses 15 through 17, we have another section where I think he begins to see things in a different light. In verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, if he determined I'm just going to vent all my questions and all my frustrations, I'm going to tell everything and I'm just going to lay it all on the line. I would have betrayed a generation of thy children. He's not going to express all these doubts in the midst of his wrestling with him. After he sees answers, he expresses them all. But he doesn't. In the midst of the difficulties. If I said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. And then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slept. <laughs> Apologize. 
That's slippery to pronounce. You set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like, the, when, like a dream when one awakes. Oh Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. He says, I wanted to understand this. I tried to work all this out. But it was troublesome to me. Now, even that word is significant. For the word troublesome is the same word used in verse 5 when it says they are not in trouble as other men. The wicked do not experience these kinds of trouble. He has trouble even figuring out why they don't have trouble. I pondered to understand this. It was troublesome. It was troublesome. Do you know one thing that's interesting to me? In the midst of his questions, in the midst of what he will later say, was bitterness in verses 21 and 22. He doesn't quit worship. He doesn't quit public worship. He doesn't stop going to the sanctuary of God. And it is when he turns to God to worship that the light begins to break through. In verse 17, I came into the sanctuary of God and I perceived therein. And I, I can remember one time a conversation with a person who, who was troubled about some things like that. And I just, I'm just not going to worship till I get them all resolved. No, no. Keep coming. It may be that the light breaks through in this very place until I come to the sanctuary of God and then I perceive their end. And what does he perceive? These wicked whose whole life is filled with peace, who are not in trouble like other men, who experience blessing after blessing in spite of their defiance, in spite of their rebellion to God. He sees that they are on slippery ground. You set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Are the wicked secure and stable and carefree and trouble-free and just had the Midas touch? You set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Knowing what we know about God and His nature, knowing who God is, people like this cannot ultimately prevail. Just cannot. And when they're destroyed, it's going to be suddenly... And it's going to be completely in verse 19. How they are destroyed in a moment. 
They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. A moment, sudden terrors. It is going to be, it is going to be instantly. It is going to be without pre-warning. And it's going to be utterly. It is going to be completely. And their prosperity, their peace, their security is only going to be an illusion. I don't want you to miss something. I don't want you to miss that the author of Psalm 73 finds peace in the idea of God's judgment and God's judgment upon the wicked. He finds peace and security in that doctrine. That the wicked are not going to get away with their wickedness. They're not going to defy God endlessly. Regardless of how much money they make. Regardless of how successful they may look. And I say this particularly to younger people, but I say this to all of us. Let's not be deceived by the illusion of the prosperity of the wicked. Because it is an illusion. Not in the sense that it's not real, but in the sense that it is momentary. It is momentary. And it will be one day a race. Regardless of how difficult the path, regardless of all the, the problems we face, the road to blessing is the road of service to God. And the writer in his last section, contemplates this. And he says in verses 21 and 22, When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. He, he acknowledges his foolishness in these moments and his bitterness. And, and one way to overcome bitterness, just to count our blessings. Count your blessings, name them one by one. It will surprise you what, you're, what God has done. When my heart was embittered, I was pierced within. I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Verse 23 and 24. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. And you have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me. And afterward, receive me to glory. God held on to him when the psalmist's feet almost slipped and he didn't think he had the strength to stand anymore. God held on to him. I am continually with you. Your right hand has taken hold of me. And he says in verse 24, he says, with your counsel you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. The word afterward in verse 24 is the same Hebrew word translated 
end in verse 17. In verse 17, when he came into the sanctuary of God, he perceived the end of the wicked. And now he speaks about his end, his afterwards. The point is, this context is making a stark contrast between the end, the afterward of the wicked person and the end and the afterward of the righteous person. While the wicked is on slippery ground and in an instant he's going to be brought down to utter destruction, the text says that you will guide me with your counsel and afterward in the end receive me to glory. Some make the point, this word is so frequently used, this word I'm about to mention, not the ones I have mentioned, but the next word I'm going to mention is so frequently used, I don't know if we can make this point. And be too dogmatic. But the word receive, it is the same Hebrew word used when the Bible said Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Genesis 5, 24. I don't know. But I do think that's a good picture. He didn't see death and God took him. And God will take and receive us to glory. The wicked may seem happy now, but I want to tell you, they don't have a future. And even though those who serve God may be stricken all day long and chastened every morning, as another psalm says, for your sake we are counted as sheep led to the slaughter all day long. Psalm 44, 22 and 23. But that is the road to blessing. He began this psalm by envying the wicked. I think he ends this psalm in a certain way pitying them because he realizes that he has a blessing that the wicked could never have in verse 25 and verse 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, the rock of my heart. He is the strength of my heart and he is my portion forever. The wicked may have money, the wicked may have fame, the wicked may have all kinds of things, but we have God. He is the strength of my heart and my portion. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. 
this God who is good and does good to those of pure of heart, to be far from him is to follow the path of destruction. In verse 27, for behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful for, to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. He started this psalm by saying that God is good to those. God is good to Israel. God is good to those who are pure in heart. And he ends the psalm by using the same word for good. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. God is good. And it is good to be near him. It is the greatest blessing of all. And because of all of this, he makes God his refuge. He makes God his security, his stronghold, his rock, his fortress. That's where he runs in times of trouble. That's where he goes in times of peace. Because he's found a refuge in God. And, and notice how he ends it. That I may tell of all your words. Now, the Hebrew word translated tell in verse 28 is the same word translated speak in verse 15. He said there, if I had said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of the children. That is something about which he shouldn't have speak. He's not going to tell. He's not going to speak while he's bitter, while he's got full of questions with no answers. He's determined there he's not going to speak and lead someone in the wrong direction. But now at the end, after he sees a resolution, after he sees that he has the greatest of all blessings, he is going to tell. He is going to speak. He is going to share the good news of what God has done. And if you have made a similar journey, when you see the goodness of God and the goodness of being your God, tell the story to as many as will listen. Tell of his mighty words. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, you are good. And you do good to your people. You have blessed us with so many blessings that if we enumerated them, the list would be infinite. For, oh Lord, we could never relate, we could never tell, and we never even perceive all the blessings you give. Thank you. 
as we go through difficult times and adversities, may we not forget to thank you for the blessings you bestow. Thank you, O God, for your amazing grace that shown to us in a multitude of ways every single day. May we not be moved by the prosperity of wicked people. May we not be moved by seeing those who defy you do well. For we know, O oh God, that you set them in slippery places. And we know that we have a blessing in you and in fellowship with you that the wicked could not imagine nor understand. And it is a blessing that includes a future that is brighter than our present and brighter than our past that you will receive us to glory. May we tell the story of your goodness to all that will listen, and may their hearts be inclined to you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Lord willing on Tuesday night, we want to have another lesson on Psalm 82. We an introduction to it the other night, and we'll try to finish that, Lord willing, on Tuesday evening. You may be wicked, and you may be just having a good time in life, but know it sometimes the party is. And all the good things stop. And one day we will all give an account to God. If you realize the emptiness of life and you want to turn to the only one that can give you meaning, if you believe Jesus died for you, and you're willing to repent of your sins and to turn to Him, to the one who died, to the one who was raised, for forgiveness of being baptized in Christ, we want to help you as we stand and sing. Red binder number 18, Christ lives in me. Mm -hmm. I've been crucified with Christ my Lord.
Once a slave to sin, now redeemed in Christ's renewed each day through His sacrifice. By faith not guilty, but justified, set free to thank you. We are so grateful for you, for your goodness, for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And as we go out this week, Lord, I pray that uh, we will be able to uh, live out what the 28th verse of Psalm 73 says. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, so I can tell about all that you do. Give us the courage and the strength to stand on those truths as we are out in the world this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
ಹೇಳಿಕೆಯಲ್ಲಿ 